Welcome to Breaking Through. I'm Madeline Bell, President and CEO of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and I'm bringing you this podcast from the iHeart Breakthrough Radio Studios in Philadelphia. I'm here with Dr. Stephen Grupp, who's the Director of Cancer Immunotherapy at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and a pediatric oncologist. Dr. Grupp is joined by a CHOP patient, nine-year-old Keshawn Lawhorn, as well as his parents, Andre and Kaisha. Keshawn was first diagnosed with leukemia at age two. After three years of chemotherapy, he went into a remission at age five, but he relapsed again in August of 2015, and he came to our hospital for treatment. I'm going to talk to Keshawn's parents and Dr. Grupp about his treatment and how he's doing today. Really great to have all of you here today. So, Dr. Grupp, could you tell me a little bit about how pediatric cancer is different than adult cancer? That's a great question. I think there are some really significant differences between pediatric cancer and adult cancer. Uh, adult cancer is more common than pediatric cancer. That's one thing. Um, a typical pediatrician may see a couple of patients with cancer in an entire career, whereas an adult medicine doctor will see cancer more frequently. But the real difference is that pediatric cancer is often more treatable than adult cancer. So um, even though we're dealing with patients who have uh, disease that has come back, many of the pediatric patients that are treated for cancer now have an excellent chance of responding to their initial therapy and never needing more treatment. And um, anywhere from 70 to 80 percent of patients that are started in with treatment now uh, stay in remission. So this is, this is definitely better in kids than it is in adults. And in my personal opinion, one of the major reasons is that, you know, I, I will acknowledge that cancer is different in, in younger uh, patients versus older patients. But of course, I think the big difference is that we do much more research in pediatric cancer than we do in adult cancer. You know, most kids uh, with cancer are on clinical trials, even from the beginning of their treatment. Uh, most adults are not. And so I think the focus is really on trying to learn as much as we can from every patient and improving the outcome as we go along. That's very encouraging, but um, I still understand that acute lymphoblastic leukemia, 10% of the children fail treatment. And even though that sounds great, 90% cure rate, uh, it's when those children fail when they come to you. So tell me a little bit about what leads them to you and what types of treatments that you've developed. So it's absolutely right that uh, ALL or acute lymphoblastic leukemia is the most common childhood cancer. Um, and yes, it's true that 80 to 90 percent of patients who are diagnosed with this stay in remission and um, are essentially cured of their disease. But and that is absolutely the good news. But for the patients who are in that 10 to 20 percent, all the modern therapies that we have to achieve these great outcomes aren't working. And so they come to us with really no uh, significant hope at all. And so the good news is we got this whole group of patients who are doing great, and that's fantastic, with regular chemotherapy. But the bad news is that if that doesn't work, there's not much before this uh, CAR T-cell therapy that we could offer a patient like that. So you talked about research, and so years of research led to a real breakthrough here, and that really occurred for the first child that you treated um, who had uh, – a very positive outcome, and that was Emily Whitehead. And she was the world's first pediatric patient um, uh, who really rewrote the history of that 10% of patients. So can you tell me a little bit about Emily's story and how that was different? You know, years of research led to this one patient. So tell us a little bit about that. We had been working for a number of years, the group at Penn um, and uh, um, myself and some other researchers at CHOP, to develop these 
um, cell-based therapies. And um, it was really in 2010 that we started thinking, hey, this might actually work. This would, might be something that we can take out of the lab and actually make work in a person. And so we really started the process of, of uh, trying this in people for the first time. And so when we treated Emily Whitehead, this is now in 2012, um, we had just gotten, the, literally, just gotten the research trial open that she was treated on. Emily's parents were looking for something for their daughter. She had absolutely refractory leukemia, which is to say that she had gotten intensive chemotherapy and still had lots of leukemia in her bone marrow, and that's just not a fixable situation with the therapy that existed in 2012. And so they very much wanted to try something experimental. And so the experimental therapy that we tried was this CAR T-cell therapy. And so she was the first pediatric patient. She was the first patient with that kind of leukemia ever treated with an effective therapy that's based on genetically engineering T-cells. It, uh, it was an amazing time to see her treated. But I think the other part of her story that is so incredibly important is that she also had some of the uh, side effects that we see in patients who are treated with this cell therapy. And what we've learned in the six years since is that patients who have a little bit of leukemia don't get very sick because their T cells don't have that much to do. But patients who have a lot of leukemia, sometimes pounds of leukemia in their body, those T cells really have to get to a, a very high level to control all that leukemia. And that's exactly what happened in Emily. And during that process, your immune system gets really turned on, really activated. And fortunately, what we found out in Emily's case and have used in case after case after, since then and across the world with every kind of engineered cell therapy that's currently being used is that there is a way to turn off that bad part. This is a, something called cytokine release syndrome. Some people call it the storm, where they really get sick for a few days. It's a short period of time, but very intense. And we really learned how to control that with our first patient at CHOP. And this is something that we have been able to spread out to researchers and doctors across the world so that they can safely do these cell therapies of all sorts, not just the one that we were using. I'm glad you mentioned that you've really uh, translated this work to many other places across the world. How do you think the work that you've done and your colleagues has, have really transformed pediatric cancer? I think we really have made a difference. We've really moved the needle. And I will tell you, I've been at CHOP for uh, 21 years, and my point of view on working at CHOP is that CHOP is always asking, what is in it for the kids? It's great that you're doing cutting-edge research. It's really great that you have this next research grant, but what are you actually going to do with it? And so I think the goal really was, number one, drag this stuff out of the lab to see where we could actually make it work. And then number two, to say, okay, it's great that it's here at CHOP, but can, how can we make this available across the U.S. and eventually across the world? And so that was really, I think, a big part of what we did was to say, okay, let's work this out in such a way that we can hand the recipe for doing this to other doctors and not just be the only place that can do this safely, but let's teach everybody else how to do this safely. And that is really my sense for the CHOP ethos in the nearly quarter century that I've been here is that that's what the goal is. We want to change the standard of care. Well, I couldn't agree more about the goal in terms of really informing and creating a worldwide impact um, based on our research and the clinical care that we do. Dr. Grupp is joined by a CHOP patient, nine-year-old Kishan Lawhorn, as well as his parents, Andre and Kaisha. Tell me a little bit about the day you walked into Children's Hospital of Philadelphia for the first time. It was kind of like a safe feeling because, you know, you hear so much about the Children's Hospital and the good things that they do, and it's also 
a, a hard feeling too because of what we were going through. So but we, we kind of felt comfortable, but at the same time felt, you know, a little bit shaken up and we didn't know what to expect. Yeah, it's a little scary when you don't know what to expect. Kaisha, how about you? What were you thinking about? I was just kind of nervous because we were switching to a whole new hospital. So I didn't know the doctors. I didn't know what was going to happen. So I just, I really just was putting all my faith into that hospital. And then I just felt comfortable how they welcomed us there. So that helped a a little bit more. And when you were coming to Children's Hospital, what did you know about cancer immunotherapy? Did anyone explain to you what might happen? What, what, did, what did you hear about it? We didn't know much about it when we, when we first got introduced to it. We just knew um, the part about his T cells and that they were going to take those. That's the first thing that we knew about. And then afterwards, they introduced more about what was going to happen to those T cells. And what made you decide to go through this treatment? They said, you know, we would have to know something soon. So we kind of just, we thought about it for probably a week and said, this is what we're going to do. So that was a week of a lot of mulling it over and talking it over, the two of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you consult with other friends? No, it was. Not too much. Yeah, it was our decision. So we, between me and Andre, we we felt what was comfortable between us two and how we felt about it before we spoke with anybody else about it. And then we came up with the decision that we were going to try it. And then came the day of treatment. Um, and then how soon after treatment did you see the results? Like, what, what happened? What was that experience like for your family? It was like soon after that we saw that he was getting better because he went, had, went through relapse and we knew that his body was going through a lot at the time. So... We tried it, and then it was like, it seemed like pretty fast that it worked. You got to see some results pretty quickly, as yeah. it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Okay, Sean, do you remember that? It was four years ago. No, not really. Tell me how you're feeling today. Um, good. What are you doing at school? Math and other things. So did you get out of school early to be here today? Yes. What's your favorite thing to do? If you could pick anything in the world that you could do, what, what's your favorite thing to do? Play with my toys. So to your mom and dad, let me ask this question. What was the breakthrough moment for you in Kayshawn's treatment? For me, it was when Kayshawn's hair started growing back. <laughs> <laughs> After he went through relapse, I seen how much of a toll it was taking on his body. So when we tried the immunotherapy when his hair started getting longer and his energy started coming back and he was just back to his normal self then that was for me that was the breakthrough and I was like oh this it works and I think for me it was more because we were still going back to the doctors every couple months they were doing checkups and it was just every Every single time, they're like, hey, everything's good. It was just like, it was it was probably the greatest feeling. You know, it, it was, I can't forget that part. Yeah, it, it, when we didn't have to go back to the doctor so often, when we got those breaks, when they were saying months instead of weeks. That was a new life for you guys, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Tell us how sick Keishan was when you came to the hospital, and, and then once you got the therapy, how quickly was that turnaround? Yeah. He, he was pretty sick because, especially after relapsing, 
it was starting to go to a point where we didn't see this the first time. There were things that were happening that we didn't experience, so it, it was it was hard for us. And then that's what even brought us to even do a little bit more research when they told us about it and then made our decision to do that. And then, like you said, after about maybe a month or after that one appointment, it, and we seen how things were starting to shift and move towards somewhere else, it, it, it was a, a good feeling. It was good. For other parents who might be going through something like this or thinking about cancer immunotherapy treatment, what, what advice would you give them? I would say to try it. It worked for us, and it worked pretty quickly when we were given the option of this. Um, it can be a little bit skeptical to go with something that's experimental, but everything's really experimental at this point. It was something to try. I'm glad we did try it. I'm glad we were given the option to try it. Well, I'm glad you did too, because I'm sitting here looking at Kayshawn, an adorable nine-year-old boy who likes to play with toys and I'm sure lots of other things. And so we're really thrilled that he went through the treatment and you know, you had the bravery to um, make the decision, and you found us for the breakthrough treatment. And so we're, we're thrilled that you uh, told us a little bit about your story. Dr. Grupp, I'm really interested to hear, you know, we've done all of this. Like, what's next? Well, I think there are a couple things. So first off, there's lots of refinement that we can do in what we're already doing. So we can make it work better in patients with leukemia. Um, this puts 95% of the patients that we treat in remission um, but not everybody stays in remission. For 50, 60 percent are in, still in remission uh, over the long term and in, in situations like Kayshawn's in where we think we really think the disease is gone in those patients. And that's long-term disease control. We're hoping to we're actually shooting toward cure for those patients. But for the patients that it doesn't work, that 20, 30 percent where it doesn't work, uh, we can definitely refine the therapy to make it work better, make the T cells last longer, and make sure that none of those kids have their disease come back. But then, you know, all of the, the different uh, cell therapies, CAR T cell therapies that we're talking about, they've only been successful in blood cancers. If we're really going to make a difference, we want to go outside blood cancers and really work on what, what we call solid tumors. And those are the more common cancers in adults, breast cancer and lung cancer, pancreas cancer. These are things where there's not been a successful CAR T cell approach. And we think the next five years is trying to, trying to figure out how to make that work. And if we can do that... It's really going to change the face of cancer for not just for the kids, but for everybody. And then also, back to the kids, um, pediatric solid tumors are also really tough. We don't do as well in the solid tumors as we do in the uh, blood cancers in kids. We do successfully treat a large number of kids, but the relapse rates are a lot higher than they are in ALL, which is the disease, the disease we've been talking about. And so what I think is anything we learn about attacking solid cancers is going to work in uh, some adults and some kids. We're going to be able to use the same recipe. We don't have that right now, and that is the most urgent area of research as far as I'm concerned. So one of the things that you're doing now is to, to try to say what can our research do to inform better cures for what you're doing today with, with patients like Kayshawn and Emily you need funding for research in order to move forward to the next stage. How can this be applied to other types of cancer? Emily recently visited the hospital <laughs> for her six-year checkup, which is quite amazing. More amazing is that she brought you a check for $250,000.
Tell me what funding like that will help you do as you think about the next stage of your research. We're very grateful to the Whitehead family for a lot of things. Um, uh, you know, families uh, like Keishon's family and the Whitehead family, these very early families on the clinical trial, I mean, you said that this was experimental research, and it totally was. And they had to say, we're going we're gonna to take that leap of faith, we're going to go on that clinical trial, and we're going to see if it's going to work for our kids. So just that is plenty. And fortunately, it's worked out well, and, and I couldn't be more delighted. But in the time since then, the Whitehead family has really gotten very interested in the whole idea of immunotherapy. Um, Emily Whitehead, as the first patient, has really gotten a lot of attention um, as uh, sort of the face of immunotherapy across the world. There are a lot of people who know who Emily is. They also started a foundation and started doing fundraising. And so they brought, uh, this is actually the second major donation they've made to the CHOP immunotherapy program, initially $100,000 and now $250,000 from their fundraising. Um, and it's really, uh, this is really to implement Tom and Carrie Whitehead's vision that now that we've made this work in kids and we're uh, extending it into the adults, let's not lose sight of the kids. And so we really want to make sure that we're, we're using uh, the research to make sure that anything that we're learning from the adult cancers we're able to redirect toward the kids and not forget about the kids. Because the extraordinary thing here is that the first uh, approval of an engineered cell therapy, the first cell therapy for cancer ever in the whole world, was in a pediatric disease. That never happens. And I think that Tom and Carrie and I all believe that we have to make sure that we keep the spotlight on the kids. Well, I couldn't agree more. Keeping the spotlight on the kids is really so important. Dr. Grupp, you, you have families come to you every day at their, a crisis point where their child has been diagnosed with cancer or has a relapse in their leukemia. Tell me, how do you talk to families every day when they're, when they're coming to you for, for such hope? Well, um, we do want to offer hope uh, in situations where there hasn't been hope before, and that's absolutely what the research is about. Um, we are really focusing on that we can help folks, but we also try to make you understand what the potential downsides are, what the potential risks are. I think that that's really uh, important as well. The Sad reality is that we are, you know, our group treats patients that have generally would have had less than a 10% outcome before they came to this particular kind of treatment and to us. And so uh, it's great that we can help the kids that we can, but we know that we can't help everyone. And so that is really driving us to try to improve things as much as possible. And this sense of possibility that, hey, these intractable problems, these patients that you couldn't help 10 years ago, you actually can help now. Um, that's uh, incredibly exciting for me. But, you know, every family is different. Needs are different. The kids are different. And we want to make sure that we work with the family to really give the best possible care for their child in that situation and not just think of them uh, as a research subject. Well, you must see so much. And I can imagine that there are some really difficult situations that really stick with you. Is there a particular case that you can talk about that really tug at your heartstrings? We always focus on the good news in this business, um, but not everybody has a positive outcome. And um, I can tell you about one family that, and, and this is so emblematic of the families that we work with. Um, so when we presented to the Food and Drug Administration about this therapy, and actually this led to the first FDA approval, we were you know, in a big room and it was a public hearing and there were all these people asking very skeptical questions and that was actually what led to the FDA approval. 
as part of that process, they had two families. Actually, Tom Whitehead was, was one representative, and then another family who had undergone CAR T-cell therapy, had the same kind of results that Kayshawn had, and were doing great. But I think it was really important that another mom got up who had not had the same experience. So this was um, a little girl that we took care of, absolutely uh, wonderful child, um, came to us with uh, completely uncontrolled leukemia, and we, we gave her the CAR T-cell therapy and uh, controlled her disease for a period of time. She felt better, but it was a short period of time, and then her disease started to shift and started to hide from the T-cells. Had never seen that before, and it's not a common problem, but boy, was it a problem in this little girl. And then she started getting really sick again. And then we tried something else. We tried adding another T-cell stimulator drug to this young lady, and then that kicked her CAR T-cells into gear again, and we got uh, her disease under control again. And from that treatment, she, her mom will tell you, she had um, months of being symptom-free, back at home, feeling well, but it didn't stick. It didn't stay. And in the end, her uh, leukemia shifted again and again and again until we couldn't get on top of it, and she ended up passing away from her leukemia. And lovely, lovely parents, wonderful little girl. You could see when she was sick how she was trying to just get better. And the second she was better, she wasn't looking back and being sick. She just wanted to be well. And to the wonderful that we could give her that short period of time. Uh, her mom really sees that as being very important. But the lesson she takes from it is don't wait so long. If you have bad leukemia, let's get to this faster. And we are really taking that message to heart, um, learning from that little girl and trying to get this in patients with very high-risk leukemia much earlier in their therapy before their uh, disease can change and change and change again like it did in that little girl. That, that whole case was a heartbreaker. The, I remember she was feeling good that day and um, said that no one was coming in the room unless they were dressed like a superhero. So we all had to put on capes and little little uh, masks, and we were all in the room. All, all four of us who were rounding that day had to had to dress up, and she was she was having none of it unless we uh, actually got into our superhero costume. So great kid, not the outcome we were looking for. That's the kind of thing that really motivates me to try to do better, but also is heartbreaking when it happens. It is a great motivator for all of us that work at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia too. To understand that um, everything that we do every day is towards helping the next patient that comes and that we will never rest until we have good outcomes for all of the children who come to see us. I remember one time you and I were talking about one patient and um, that was a time where the therapy was still uh, you know, new and uh, the cells weren't as available to every patient. And I remember one quote you said, I'm moving heaven and earth to make this happen. And I believe that you and your colleagues are superheroes because you're doing everything you can uh, to make sure that you give every child the best experience and really a breakthrough in, in their disease. Well, thank you for that. So, Dr. Grupp, in closing, let me ask you, what was your breakthrough moment for this cancer immunotherapy treatment? There are three, um, and they're uh, in some ways all around Emily Whitehead. Um, so when she got her cells and when she got so sick, when we figured out what it was that was making her sick and gave her the treatment that reversed that whole toxicity, that happened within hours. She went from 
as sick as a human being could be, the wonderful ICU at CHOP, doing everything they could to keep her alive, but really the sense that she wasn't going to make it through the night. To, uh, she got that drug at 8 o'clock at night. Fever's gone within a couple hours. All of her bad side effects in terms of low blood pressure and difficulty um, uh, breathing and all of that got better within hours. And so the fact that we could turn around something that, that serious, that was the first breakthrough moment. But, of course, at that time, we still didn't know whether it had worked. And then 23 days after we gave her her T-cells, we did a bone marrow test. There wasn't any leukemia in her body at all that we could find. And that, I still remember calling her dad, uh, texting him first, and letting him know that we had those results back. And, of course, I was bothering the poor pathologist every five minutes about what what was actually going to happen. But I had no idea. We could have gone through all that and gotten her better and still not provided benefit to her leukemia. And that's not what turned out. So that was a second breakthrough moment. But um, the third is a year ago. So I saw her just recently, as you mentioned, at her six-year visit. actually saw another patient at her five-year visit on the same day. So that was 11 years total follow-up. That was pretty awesome. And, um, but at five years, I had a conversation with her dad. And he said, well, is she cured? And I said, boy, I try very hard not to use that word. I know. You tell me I'm not allowed to say the cure <laughs> word. <laughs> so I try. Because I, 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 it feels like you can really overpromise here. There's so much hype around this. You know, if you start uh, running around saying I've got the cure, that you got to be really careful. But, and I, you know, he knows how reluctant I am to, to do that. Um, and um, he said, well, let's just pretend we're someone else. You know, what do you tell your cancer families? And I said, well, when you get to uh, five years out in almost all the cancers that I treat, the light, you know, nothing is ever impossible, but the likelihood of your cancer coming back has dropped to a level that it's below the other risks in your life, like getting on, uh, getting in a car and driving somewhere. And that's basically a cure. And he said, well, then why can't we be that? And I said, yes, you can. So by that definition, the same definition I've used for 20 years, they're cured. So that was the third breakthrough moment, and I had to be dragged, dragged to that point by a parent. There's no doubt. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been wonderful to share details about this breakthrough treatment and hear how patients are benefiting from it at CHOP. Thank you for having me. And thanks for trusting us with your son. I hope you'll tune in for future podcasts to learn more about the latest breakthroughs at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and the people who support them. To learn more about CHOP, visit chop.edu giving. At Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, We make breakthroughs every day. I'm Madeline Bell, and thank you for listening.